But I feel Jesus in this house. And I feel like God is going to do wonderful things in Jesus' name. Brother Young, we're delighted that you and your family are here. Come and preach to us in Jesus' name. Put your hand together for the man of the God. Praise the Lord, everybody. It feels good in the house. Amen. Amen. There is liberty. There is power. If, if this is your first time in an apostolic Pentecostal church, yes, we are crazy. If, if, but if you were wondering why we're running the aisles, it's because we have a liberty. We have a joy within us. We have that, that shame that set upon our shoulders has been washed away. And so, so that's not my sermon. But so I get so excited when I come in the house of God. That same liberty, that same power, that same feeling that, you see, I was the worst of sinners. We were all, you look around you, you're setting by a sinner. But we've been washed, we've been cleaned. And so now that, that shame that's set upon us is gone. Woo. This is not where I'm going, but... That is why it's so important that you go on outreach next Saturday. Because we're going to spread this gospel. We're going, there's souls that live in constant condemnation. There's souls that are dying and on their way to hell. If it's not us that reaches them, who reaches? If it's not, we have been given this liberty, we have been given this power for a reason. Woo. And I feel good and I feel liberty in the house. Amen. <laughs> Mr. Screenman, I apologize, but I'm going to change my sermon and my text and everything. So I'm sorry about that. Blame God, not me. <laughs> Amen. I give honor to your pastor and his family. I give honor to this wonderful church. Amen. How many love your pastor? Amen. Amen. My text today is Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. For just a few short moments, I want to preach a sermon that I haven't made up a title for. But I want to preach that he called you. Amen. If you could be seated. I'll try and be concise. I'll try and be short. But there's, there's a word. Before this sermon, before this service, I was praying in the office. And I got probably the most specific word I've ever been given. And so I'll just be honest with you. There's some things that God is going to do before the service. There's some things that God is trying to work through. There's some places that we're going to go. That is some new territory for some people. He called you for a reason. We, we live in a world, we live in a generation that 
everybody's special. And I know I'm on the border of the Pacific Northwest, but every kid is a special kid and every kid is a genius. And my kid, I'm from California, so I can say it. <laughs> and, and every kid is the best and we're all unique and we're all special. And I want you to understand that when it comes to church, when it comes to your call, when it comes to who you were created to be, what might just be culture, what might just be something when it comes to church, it's the absolute truth. That you were called for a specific reason. You were called on a local level, on a global level. You were called and placed in this church for a reason. You, you see, but before we get to the good part, before we get to the calling part, the first proper understanding, we, we have to understand the makeup of man. Before we jump to the calling, before we, we run away with our grandiose ideas, we have, to, we have to go back down to the root of what man is himself. Man cre exists of two parts, the soma, the, the visible, and the pneuma, the invisible, the spirit and the flesh. That, and so there's a, there's a tug of war between these two. There's a tug of war between my existential being and my essential being. There's this didactical tension that exists in per, perpetuity that we, you can see me. You can see Boston. But has anyone ever looked in the mirror long enough? It gets weird. You start to recognize that there's more to this than just this flesh and bone. There's more to this than what I can see. There's something else going on there. No matter what our postmodern culture tries to tell us, we are spiritual beings. And so everything that exists in creation must have a visible and an invisible. The visible follows the invisible pattern. There's a pattern, there's a, a blueprint in the invisible that Everything has to match up too. Everything's working. Everything's fighting to get to that perfected state. The gap is the potential. So the existential being is nothing more than a revealing of something greater. And I, would, I, I tried to look around and see something that's not perfect in this church because I need an example and I could not find anything. How many thankful for your building? How many thankful for your pulpit? <laughs> Amen. But I, I, I was thinking, we, we all know, we all have that chair that has a, a shaky leg or we've all been to a restaurant and we've had to put a coaster under the table because the table's wobbly. That's not how that table was designed. That table was designed in the, in the creator's head, in the architect's head, that, that table was perfect. That table's legs were even, that chair's, it, it wasn't meant to wobble. But its existential state is different than its essential state. How it was supposed to be is a long way from how it is. The visible is a pale reflection of the invisible. Thus, the visible always follows this pattern. I, you get the point uh, where essential oils are, you've removed all the finite things, you've removed all the tangible, you've removed all the impurities, you've removed all the stuff. 
and you're left with the essence of the oregano or whatever. It gives me a headache. Uh, the, <laughs> the existential is always defined by the essential. This is the state in which we find ourselves. This is, we're constantly on the move. We're constantly trying. And so this is where man was placed. We're constantly striving to reach that place. We're constantly working. But this plays a very practical, and I, I understand that that's a very outside-the-box, esoteric beginning to a very simple sermon, but we recognize that this actually plays out in a very specific, very simple, simple way. The first step to becoming who you're called to be, the first step to recognizing that potential, the first step in becoming the man or the woman that you were created to be is to catch that vision. Where has God placed you? What, what, what has God uniquely situated in your life so you could be at Cornerstone? What callings, what, what special gifting, what special anointing, what special thing has he given you? What is the vision of your church? What is the vision of your pastor? What is the vision that God has for your life? Now, when it comes to vision, you can't do it through the flesh. You can't see what cannot be seen with a carnal eye. You can't just look and see what God sees without prayer. You can't look and see what God sees without coming to the house of God on a Sunday or midweek. You can't look and see what God sees without an anointing. But once you glimpse that preferred future, once you glimpse that calling, once you glimpse that vision of that's what God sees when he sees Boston Young, that's what God sees when he sees Cornerstone, that's what, when, when, you, when you catch a glimpse of that, everything else falls away. There's a simplicity that comes into focus. It, it, think of it as a lens or a filter that, that, no, it doesn't make it easier, but it makes it simpler. Because now when I look at an opportunity, when I look at, look, this job versus that job, this job's going to make me miss, yeah, I might make an extra $10,000, but I'm going to have to miss midweek Bible study. Wow. I'm going to have to, there's a clarification because the vision of what is God calling you to do? The vision of that comes into play instead of the vision of my carnal flesh. See, it's very difficult to catch a vision without being connected to the vision. This is why some of you, and I'm a first-timer, and I, I don't know people. I'm not connected. I don't know any stories. I don't know anything. But this is why some are having trouble buying into the vision of the pastor. They, they, oh, we're doing all this, we're doing, I, I've, I've never been here, but I know all this takes some money. And I, why is pastor, why can't we just do that? Why are we doing outreach there? Why are we pushing here? Why are we expanding here? The people that ask those kind of questions are people who haven't caught the vision. But it's impossible to catch a vision without being connected to the spirit. 
when someone cannot catch the vision of their pastor, when someone cannot catch the vision of this church, it's an indicator that they're not spiritually hooked up. You have not caught the vision of your church. This is... The, it's a mark of a carnal nature shining forth. Is that, that, of course you can't catch a vision birthed out of the Spirit, birthed out of a prayer meeting of your pastor. Of course you can't catch that vision. You cannot catch the vision of the supernatural when you're in the flesh. When, when I see someone coming against the things that pastors are trying to do, when I see someone that's fighting the vision, when I see someone that's not for the progress, when I see someone that can only find the negatives, I can see, I can see that nine times out of ten that, that you've hitched your wagon to some carnality. You, you have more in common with your coworkers than the people of God. You have more in common with your backslid friendly family. You have more in common with that, that reprobate friend. You've connected yourself so far away from the vision. It's, it's no wonder that you can't catch a glimpse of what pastor sees. It's no wonder because you're not even there. You cannot see the invisible with carnal eyes. You have more in common with that coworker because you're there. You're looking at the same stuff. You don't view your job as your calling. You view your job as a place to get money. You're called for something greater. You're called for something great. You're put in... You're put in the world for such a time as this. You're brought to Cornerstone for such a time as this. Look what God is doing. Look at the revival. Look at the expansion. You're here for a reason. He's raising you up for a reason. He's opening doors for a reason. Set your affections on things eternal. For ye are dead and your life is hid in Christ. You've attached your eyes to some sophomoric whim of fancy of just what I want. You're, 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 the carnal is so, the, the finite world is so temporal, it's so pointless. And yet we hook so much attached attachments to this finite world. But when you can catch the vision of this church, when you can catch the vision of your pastor, when you can open your eyes... Each and every one of us have a unique calling. Each and every one of us are powerful. This is why it's so important to connect. This is why it's so important to have a relationship with your pastor. This is why it's so important to ask his advice. This is so... Brother J.T. Pugh preaches a sermon, The Anatomy of a Backslider, and he talks about, I can, he said, I can almost pinpoint which young people are going to backslide by how connected they are to the ministry. He said, because they're not setting their affections on things eternal. They're, they're, they're pulling away. They, Parent, I beg you, I'm, I've been a youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor. Get your kids hooked up with this ministry. You want them, don't, don't talk them down. Don't talk the ministry down. Push the ministry up. The only, 
The only hope our kids have is that they're connected to this ministry, that they're connected to the vision. Because the vision that he lays forth is the vision for this church. Let this man of God pour into your children. Let these men of God pour into your children. Hook. Wife, don't pull your husband down when he tries to become more. Husband, don't pull your wife down when she tries to become more. Yeah, you might have to go to church more. Yes, you might have to leave earlier. Yes, to pick up a family. But there's more to this than just this finite world. There's an invisible that we can only see when we hook up with the Spirit. A major part of who you're called to be. And I firmly believe that every person, every member is meant to be something. Every one of us has a unique and special calling on our life. But a major part of that, a major, the, the, probably the defining factor of what I'm called to be, of what you're called to be, is the church that God has put you in, is the leadership that God has put you under. There, there's a man in, in the city of Memphis, very, very influential, very well off, very powerful man. He's young. He's probably 35, maybe 40. I don't know. Age is weird to me because uh, I feel way younger. And then I look in the mirror and I'm bald. So <laughs> we'll, we'll just let that one go. Uh, but he, he's very, this man is very powerful. He's very anointed. And God has gave him a vision when he was, when he was young that he was called to do business. He wasn't called to preach. He wasn't, he wasn't called to to. But he also wasn't called to just make money for making money's sake. He was called to, to propagate the gospel. He was called to business's mission. He was called to greatness. Now, this man didn't look around and say, you know where they're making lots of money? In New York City. I'm going to move to New York. He went to his pastor, sought out his pastor's advice, and went into business in that local context. He didn't pack up and move to the, the wealthy church. He, di he didn't move. He didn't, he didn't strategize. on. He recognized that I'm called to be the man or woman I'm called to be right here. There are unique places. There are unique things that you have been called to do. And you have been put in this church. You have been put in cornerstone because God's anointing you. God is raising you up. God is making you who he's called you to be. There, there's a young man in our church when I was, first, it was the, when I first became youth pastor at The Rock, a young man by the name of Chad, and I was praying one day for Chad, and he gave, God gave me a, a vision, a, a vision for Chad's life, and it was, I immediately called Chad. I called him and said, Chad, let's go meet, and we went to Chick-fil-A because that's where you, you go when you're a youth pastor. <laughs> and we, we met for about two hours at Chick-fil-A, and I laid out every detail that God had given me as his man of God. And it, it, I'll, the details 
were, I, I felt like he was supposed to be a missionary to Central America, and I felt like he was supposed to work in the coffee industry, and I felt like he was supposed to do something in coffee. I, I, I saw, I caught a vision of what God was trying to do through Chad's life. Chad didn't catch the vision. But when I laid it out as his leader, he immediately said, okay, what do I do tomorrow? What, do I, what, what action do I take to make this vision a reality? And so Chad, the first thing he was supposed to do, the first thing I knew how to do at the age of 22 or however old I was, was I told Chad, you need to join Hope Corps because you need to get some sort of training and I, I don't really have time to full-time train you right now. <laughs> and so Chad went to Hope Corps and he, he was young. He didn't have the money to do Hope Corps, but he did Hope Corps, graduated, and then came home and went to work for a septic company. And the vision his leadership had given, the vision that, that they said was from God, the vision that he thought and he caught and he jumped in with both feet, nothing came of it. And then about six months go by and God opens up a door for him to go down to Honduras and work with missionary Stephen Jones. And so he jumped on it. And he thought, this is it. This is, what I was, this is the fruition. This is what God's called me to do. And so Chad goes home. I mean, he goes to Rotan and he's working. And then after about a year, he runs out of money and has to come back home. And he has to get a job and he's working in the, the custom suit industry, trying to make a living. And, and nothing is like his ministry said. Nothing has worked out the way it was supposed to. Nothing is coming to fruition. This young man, he was 18 years old. This, he's doing everything. He said he hasn't, he, he's not the one even who's caught the vision, but he's jumped on board with the vision of the church. He's jumped on board with the vision of the ministry. But all it's done is led him to working. A, it's a good job. He's making good money. And so he thinks, you know what? The perfect will of God is the present duty at hand. So he jumps in with both feet and he becomes a powerful man. While he's, while he's working custom suits, he's, he's clothing all the politicians. He's clothing the wealthy business. He's, he's working with the lawyer. He's doing all this stuff and he's making more and more money. And he, he doesn't get... He, he, he stays connected. He doesn't get frustrated. He knows the whole time in the back of his mind is there's something out there. I know what I'm called to do. I've seen that. I've caught the vision. Well, in January, Chad is moving to Nicaragua to open a coffee plantation and plant a church. Wow. Everything he was doing. Wait, don't wait. It gets better. It gets better. Because Nicaragua is a communist country. If you don't know how to work with politicians in a communist country, you can't do business. You can't run a church. You have to have legal authorization before you can open a church in Nicaragua. So for the last number of years, without Chad knowing it, God has been developing him. God has been chipping away to the edges. God has been working. So now when Chad goes to Nicaragua, not only is he... Not only has he qualified himself ministerially by working and serving and learning and studying, but God was doing things that Chad could never even imagine. 
Can I tell you that there are things that you are going through right now, that there are situations you are going through right now that you could not see in the vision. When, when, you, when you got the vision in an altar, when you caught the, you didn't see this. You didn't see what you're dealing with right now. You couldn't. But there's a molding process. There's a process of development. You're going somewhere. Can I remind you of Paul and the vision of the Macedonian man? Paul gets the vision. He packs up. He brushes his teeth. He travels. I don't know if he actually brushes his teeth, hopefully. But he travels to meet the Macedonian man. And he gets there, and it's not a man. It's a woman. We see through a glass darkly. It's not exactly. Don't discredit what God is doing in your life just because it didn't work out how you thought it would work out. What God is doing, the supernatural things God is doing, the doors he's opening in this last hour, there are things I can't even fathom. There are doors I can't even imagine that he's opening up. We see through a glass darkly. A couple years ago, my wife and I started a church in the city of Winters, California. And uh, it was horrible. <laughs> How's that for being honest? <laughs> we found a building in Sacramento, well, in Winters, but in California, Northern California, for $500 a month, which is very cheap. <laughs> and but the problem is, to get a building uh, for a price that we could afford, that meant it didn't have running water, and it also didn't have heat or air, which is a very humbling experience as a young pastor. Um, we won't go into details, but there has been, I was making a, I was about to introduce the preacher, and then I looked over, and the preacher was running, the, the building we rented had all glass front, it was an abandoned bank. Don't ask if it was legal to have church in there, but just, it was an abandoned bank. And I looked, and the whole church could see, all 12 of us, and I looked, and the preacher that I was about to introduce was running across the street because I had made a deal with the taqueria across the street to use their bathroom. So, so, so it was, it was a, honestly, that had nothing to do with my sermon. It just was explaining how humble our beginnings were at, at Winters. Uh, but... It was terrible. And then after the first terrible building, but there's a vision that God said there needs to be a church in winter. So we built a church in winters. And it was humble and it was humiliating, but we did it. And then we, we, that building got too bad. And so we, the, the abandoned building got too bad. Imagine that. And so we went to the, we worked out a deal with the migrant center to use their facilities and that didn't last at all. So, so now we're, we're buildingless. And one day we're praying and we're, we're driving around and God gives a vision. We drive past a church, beautiful church, downtown Winters. It's the church. Everyone in town knows where it is. It's the Main Street Old Americana Church. And there's a vision. That is the church. That is the church for the wind. That is the building. This is where this church, we, we've, we're, not, we're called to be the head and not the tail. 
We're called to be. And so this is where God is planting this church. This is where we need to go. Clear as day that that's the vision. And so we call. The building's not available. We email. The building's not available. We do everything we can. We, we work, we work, we work. We pray, pray, pray. We fast, fast, fast. We do all the, all, everything I know to do. And nothing happens. Woo. And so we go back to church at the Migrant Center. And it, it's horrible. The building, the church is awesome. But the building is horrible. We have to set up and there's one bathroom and it's in behind the pulpit and it's not good. And we're doing everything we can to have good church. But we, and we know that this is the vision. We know this is where we're supposed to go. But we're a long ways from it. God told me, God, God, this was what God said. This was the vision God laid out. I, I, I didn't imagine we could get that building. Why, why? But it wasn't available. We called, we prayed, we, we did everything to no avail. Well, two months ago, the church in Winters had its first service in that same building. Two months ago, the Rock Church of North had its first service in that main street. They're paying $1,000 a month for the supreme church in that city. That church is growing. That church is becoming more powerful. That is now the known church in Winters, California. All the vision that God revealed came to pass. There's one problem. I don't pastor that church anymore. There's one problem is that I'm not a part of that vision. Now, now, now do I get, say, oh, that's not the will of God? I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not the pastor there anymore. Do I get mad at God that, man, God, you, you, did, you, you said you'd do it and you didn't do it. He did do it. But I see through a glass darkly. I, I couldn't recognize all the details. I, I couldn't see everything that was going on because, you see, God had a plan for that church. He knew that that church, to become what it was needed to be, had to become fully Spanish-speaking. And he knew I can't speak Spanish. So he put a man in the church to develop named Brother Caesar Lua, who was the interpreter. You see... Caesar did not feel called to go start a church in Winters, but he felt, you know what, whatever the ministry is doing, whatever we're trying to do, I want to develop. I want to become everything God's calling. And so he went not to start a church, not to pastor a church, not to do. He went to just do his part in the will of God, to do his part in the vision that his pastor had laid out. He went to do his part for the vision of his church. And you see, the will of God was to have a Spanish-speaking church in the center of winters. But he knew, I don't know if I might have not, if I would have had the fortitude to go the course, to go through what Haley and I went through, to do everything we did, if I would have known the end result. But what God was doing is he's working, he's shaping, he's breaking, he's moving, he's developing. Because there's a plan and we see through a glass darkly. Now I can get frustrated 
and focus on the fact that it's not how I wanted it or it's not how I saw it or I had to go through a little bit of stuff. Or I can recognize that that is part of what I was called to do. You see, because it's like the story of David and Goliath. That rock, the, the Bible The Bible uses specific language to indicate that it was a smooth stone. And that that river, the the stream is a seasonal stream that dries up in the summertime. It's It's a seasonal stream. That rock had to be, it wasn't just in a river flowing endlessly. That rock came from somewhere. It broke off. And there's a tumbling process, and there's a chipping process, and there's a molding process, and there's a breaking away. And and, and it it could have, that rock could have thought, I'm in my river, I'm finally smooth, I'm finally, but it never would have made its purpose. It had to be pulled out of the river. Because it had to be used for its ultimate purpose, which was to kill Goliath. There was a refining process. There was a breaking process. There was a painful process of the winter's church for me. There was a lot of things I had to go through that I didn't want to go through. There's a lot of things that to become who you're called to be, you're going to have to go to that you don't want to go through. But that refining process, and I can just finally get to the point where I'm just good. I've made it. I've become everything I'm called to be. And I can just sit on a pew with my hair perfectly parted and just, that was a joke. Uh, and, I can, and I can just be little old perfect old me. But what you don't recognize, little stone, what you don't recognize, little rock, is that until the man of God, you see that stone, if it just sits there in the river, eventually that river's going to dry up. That, ri- that river's going to dry up and you're going to stop developing and you're going to get dry and dusty. But the man of God pulls you out of the river and throws you at that giant. You're wondering why pastor's starting all these branch works. You're wondering why pastor's doing everything he's doing. You're wondering why he keeps on pushing you to do outreach. You're wondering, you're wondering, you're wondering. It's because he knows that you serve a purpose. You're not meant to just sit on a pew. You're not meant to become stagnant. You're not meant to just sit and dry up. You've been called for a reason. You've been pulled out. You're moving forward. As the musicians come, in this room, in this room there are men and women that have been given dreams. There are men and women who have been given passions. There are men and women who God is calling out. But the dreams you have, the passions you have, the anointing you have is tied to that man of God over there. It's tied to your shepherd. The anointing and the vision that God has on your life is direct. Young men, there are men... There are men of God in this room right now that God is called. Oh, God. There are men in this room that God has supernatural. And 
in the next six months, God is going to do something. There is a divine purpose and divine anointing upon a man in this room. next six months God is going to do something that is so powerful that is so miraculous that if you if I if we said it now you wouldn't believe it But it's tied directly toward this man of God. It's tied directly towards the vision for this church. It's tied directly towards this place. There's a man, there's a man in this room that God's been dealing with you with some stuff. He's called you some stuff and he's pushing you to do some things that you're afraid to do. There's some stuff that you've got to break through as a church. There's some stuff that you've got to break through as a person. There's some stuff as a man or woman. To go where you're called to go, to go become what you're called to do. There's a breaking process. There's a chipping process. There's a, there's a refining process that's so... There's young men in this building right now that you will start businesses that fund global missions. There's men in this church that are called to be missionaries. There's women in this church that are called to be missionaries. There's a door of opportunity in this church. There's a door of opportunity, but it's tied directly to the vision for Cornerstone. Don't, cry, don't try and go do something separate. Don't try and go do something away from your pastor. Don't do it without seeking his advice. Don't do it without working with the ministry. I know you don't understand all the details or why what's happening Chad, Chad didn't even see it, but he listened to his ministry. Caesar had no, he couldn't imagine what God was trying to do. God, what are you trying to do? 
do in Spokane? How, how do I tie myself in the, into the vision? What is my place? No, I'm not called to preach. No, I'm not. But I'm called to do. There's a calling. There's a purpose. There's a vision. There's something greater that God has for you. As we all stand. What vision has God given your pastor? What vision has God given you? And how can that align with the vision of this church? with that vision? How can, how can I be the businessman God's calling me to be? How can I be the student? How can I be the young man, the young woman? Don't let fear, don't let pride, don't let anxiety, don't let, don't let any of that stuff block you. That vision you've been given will come to pass, but you've got to tie. You've got to quit fighting your man of God. You've got to buy into the vision. your pastor sees, if you could see the vision he has for Spokane, if you could, if you could grasp it, you wouldn't take your job so casually. You wouldn't take church so casually. You wouldn't take outreach so casually. Because it's a molding, it's a breaking. He's pulling you to where he's trying to get you. If there's a man or woman in this building who understands, who says, God, I have the vision. God, I won't keep fighting it. I won't be afraid of it. But I want to step in. It's a refining process, and I know it hurts, and I know it's scary. And I know it's breaking, and I know it's molding. But God, I want to grant it. I want to get in the flow. I want to get in the vision. God, God, maybe my part's just this little thing that I think of as little, but what I don't know is it's moving me somewhere. If that's you, I want you to make your way to this altar. You've got to catch the vision. You've got, and you can only do it through the Spirit. You can only do it at an altar. You can only do it with anointing.
want to be molded, God. I want to get in the flow. Come on, church. Come on, young person. Come on, mom. Come on, dad.